Come on, Steve. We've got D in the carpet. Failure is not an option. It's a problem of motivation, all right? Boy's got a mouth like a cannon, always shooting it off. Yeah, something like that. It's the good stuff. And here we go! Shake it back! <laughs> Does that feel good? Yeah, it rhymes. They're both verbs. Awesome. So listen to that. Welcome back to another episode. This one is for the men. Not necessarily that it means that the women can't listen, but this one is going to be directed specifically towards men. And this is because of some conversations I've had recently in the last couple of years, in the last 30 years of my life. Well, I guess technically speaking, I wasn't talking until I was, I don't know, one and a half. But for as long as I can remember having conversations like this, this is something that I've I've not only seen in conversations or heard in conversations, but this is a problem that I've seen in, in my experience, in, in my life. Uh, I'm not just personal, but also professional. And then just acknowledging and noticing from around me. You know, uh, uh, not, not too long ago, I had a discussion with one of my counselors. And he pointed out to me that I, I, I'm hyperactive or, or no, not hyperactive, hyperawareness. I have something called hyperawareness, which basically means the second I walk into a room, I notice everything. I notice every everything that's going on. I notice who's there. I notice who's not there. I notice the facial expressions. I notice the body language. I notice the colors that people are wearing, although I'm colorblind, so obviously that's a little skewed. But the point is I have this hyper-awareness, and that's actually benefited me in, in many ways uh, throughout life because when you pick up on certain things, you know you remember them, but it also allows you to utilize that moving forward. But along with this came the fact that anytime I went anywhere, I would notice people's reactions, interactions, the way they worked, the way they moved, the way they processed, the way they talked. Whether I was a student in a classroom and I was able to, you know, figure out what was missing from the class, as I referenced in one of the previous episodes, you know, I was able to see, okay, this is missing. This this issue needs to be addressed amongst the students and amongst the teachers. For example, as I referenced before, when I was in high school and the teachers dealt with the kids who were either the at-risk kids or they dealt with the kids that were super learners, but all of, all of us in the middle, you know, we were kind of left to the, to the side. So things like this are things that I noticed. And that was obviously something I experienced, but then I'll also walk into a room and I'll notice that this particular person is spending a lot of time with another individual every single day. Um, I'll walk into a store and I'll see exactly which cash registers are open and I'll notice which person is at which cash register. And last time I was there, they were at a different one. When you walk into a a work environment, you know, you see what needs to be improved. You you notice the the goings on and and the processes and the operations and how they need to change and how they need to improve. So it's just through speaking to people. And again, I'm focusing primarily on men now. But through speaking to people and through conversations and just through my experience over the years being around people who are married, listening in on conversations, not because I was trying to, but just again, because it's you're sitting in synagogue, you're sitting at your table trying to pray and people are having conversations. Well, you're going to overhear it. You're at the library and people are talking. You're on the subway and people are talking on the phone. I pick up on all these things. And over the years, what I've noticed is this idea that men have for some reason. That they need to do things alone. 
that they need to be the ones that do it. And I am guilty of this myself. It's something I've worked on for a long, long time. And it's something I've overcome in many ways, but it is also areas where obviously I need help. Um, but it's that age-old joke of a man would rather uh, get lost and ask for than stop to ask for directions. Well, there's there's truth to it. You know, my wife and I have a saying that there's truth to every single joke. But there is truth to this one, is that we as men tend to do things on our own. We'd rather do it alone than ask for help, than reach out for help. This comes from a really bad approach to what a man's roles are. I mean, at the end of the day, yes, a man's roles, his, his responsibilities to his himself, his wife, his kids, his family, are to protect and to provide, among other things. But those really are the two primary. And, and somehow that has come out as I need to be the one to do it and I need to do it alone. But yet if you look through history, and you especially look through biblical history, they were never alone. Men were never alone to do things. And then you look at the way, you know, we grew up, you look at the way our ancestors lived, you know, again, here's another saying, it, it, it takes a village to raise a child, right? Or it takes a village. Well, people literally lived that way. They lived in these smaller communities. They lived in these villages. They lived in these tribes. That's how we grew up. That is how we are have been programmed by God and by nature. And it's only in the more recent years that, you know, things have expanded the way they have expanded. So throughout history, you had your hunter-gatherers. You you had the roles within the tribes. You had the roles within the communities, and men played an integral role, and so did women, by the way. You know, maybe we'll do another episode on how women nowadays are selling themselves short, and men are really the ones selling their wives short. But the point being that throughout history, men have never done it alone. And this idea of doing it alone is absolutely ridiculous. Sure, there is this coming-of-age era wherein a man needs to learn how to function on his own, how to survive on his own. But the primary purpose of that is so that he can then turn around and raise a family, support a family, protect a family, provide for a family within the communal structure. But there's a number of reasons why this idea has become prevalent. And a lot of it has to do with a lot of what society and culture has taught us and told us about what a man's role is or what it should or should not be. And now you know, there's a whole thing with toxic masculinity, how if you are trying to be a masculine man, well, now you're wrong for that, um, because men shouldn't be that. But the point being, we've been given these ideas, we've, these ideas have been planted in our minds as to what a man should be, what a man should do. And somehow we've come to this place of, I need to do it alone. Now, if you look back in the Torah, in the Bible, if you look back in our lineage and our history, you see that that's the exact opposite. So for those of you who want to say, oh, well, what do you mean? Judaism doesn't talk about a man needing to have other people. Well, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you right off the bat. I mean, first of all, you look at the 12 tribes. They were the 12 tribes, individual, individual of each other, yet they were a cohesive, coherent unit. They all functioned together. They all had each other's back. Most of the stories that happened where there's actually success happened with one or more tribe together. Most of the stories that happened when it was one when, when things were not going well, it was because it was one tribe on their own. You know, you look at, for example, the, the story of Levi and Shimon, or, or how do I do this? Uh, uh, Levi and Simon, right? When they go to the the city of Shechem, and right, you know, Dina has been captured by the king of Shechem or the prince of Shechem, 
um, and she's raped. And so what happens is the brothers decide to take um, action and, and defend her honor. So what is it? It's two people together. Then you have the story of Yehuda of Judah and Tamar, who was his daughter-in-law, who was supposed to be his daughter-in-law, but she kept marrying and her, her husbands kept dying. Um, so he was going off to do something. He was going off to see a prostitute. And what ended up happening? Well, he was on his own. And that's when this bad thing happened. Now, this is just my own personal take on it. But you look throughout history, good things happen when there's more than one person. Good things happen when there's people to bounce ideas off of. But not only that, even in more, in more recent Jewish history, even in more recent Jewish practice, we've been taught to have a guide, to have a mentor, somebody to point you in the right, right direction and help you along the way. You know, for, for me, one of the things that stands out to me in this area is the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He said famously, and it's not his unique quote, I believe it actually comes from Pirkei Avos, from Ethics of Our Fathers, wherein the, the phrase is, Make for yourself a rabbi, a mentor, a teacher, a guide, and acquire for yourself a friend. You're not meant to do it alone. You are meant to have somebody there to guide you. So any man who's thinking, no, I have to be the man of the house, and that means I need to be the one to make decisions. I need to do this on my own. I'm weak. If I reach out for help, you're lying to yourself because your pride is more important than the results that your family needs to see. Your pride has now become more important than providing for your family. If you need to reach out to somebody for help and for guidance and support, that is how you provide. I've shared this before and I'll share it again. For the longest time in my life, I, I refused to receive help from anybody. Because if I received help, if I took a donation from somebody to pay my bills, that meant I was a weak man. That meant I was not able to provide. Sometimes providing is being open to receiving. So I'm not saying that you need to go around and start collecting donations from people. What I'm saying is, first of all, you need to be open to the idea if that is where your financial situation is, but also that you need to make sure you don't end up in that situation by having other people there to help you. Now, this idea of a mashpia, of that mentor, that guy that we've spoken about before, a spiritual mentor, really, Really, though, it's a, it's a mentor in life, somebody to guide you in life, to point you in the right direction, to help you make the decisions, not to make decisions for you, because that's a whole nother thing where we tend to say, okay, you make the decisions for me. You tell me what to do. Either I'm fully in control or somebody else is fully in control, and I'm just going to listen to what they say. But really, it's this middle ground is because you know the life you're living and you know the intimate details of what's going on, but you're meant to have that mashpia, that guide, that mentor, that coach, that person who is going to help you along the way. But here's the thing. I was having a discussion with a friend of mine, about this idea of mashpia. And he asked me, you know, what are some of the pitfalls of a mashpia? And I was speaking to another friend about it as well. And what we realized was there's this idea, especially in our community, in the Chabad Lubavitch community, in the Jewish community, but also elsewhere, where somebody's your mentor, somebody's your guide, somebody's your coach, it's our responsibility to reach out to them. A hundred percent, it is my responsibility to reach out to my mashpia, to my mentor. Here's the thing, though. If you are in the situation where you are somebody's mashpia, you are somebody's mentor, and they've asked you to be that person for them, you now have an equal responsibility to reach out to them. If you have not heard from that person in, let's say, a month, month and a half, two months, and you have been asked to be their mashpia, or even if you haven't been asked, but it's kind of known between the two of you that you are that person's mashpia, 
reach out, pick up the phone, because it is now your responsibility. They've entrusted you with their life and their well-being and helping them make those decisions. And if they're not reaching out to you, either one of two things happen. Either you screwed up majorly and they no longer trust you, or they are going through hardships. And they need you now more than ever. And here is the thing. As much as you would think that when somebody's going through a hardship, they should lean into the support system, what ends up happening is we end up pulling out. We pull away from the support system that we have in place. Why? Because we don't want to make them feel like we are, aren't are doing what we're supposed to be doing. We don't want them to feel like we're not good enough. We don't want ourselves to feel like we're not good enough because we're not doing what we need to be doing. So if you are in that position where you are a coach, where you are a mentor, where you are a mashpia, and somebody has asked you to help guide them in life, you need to reach out to them as well if you haven't heard from them. Because who knows what they're going through? Who knows when they need your help? You know, how did this all come up? This all came up because one of the projects that I'm focusing on right now really is, it's about, it's creating a mastermind group for men between the ages of 25 to 45 years old who are looking to start taking control of their life, looking to start leaning into their role as a father and as a husband, but they know that they cannot do it alone. And they know that they are not fully equipped. So they need the tools, they need the resources, they need the education in order to be able to do a better job. They need the support system, a band of brothers, a tribe that they can lock arms with, who will be there to help them in a non-judgmental way through those trials, through those challenges, through those tribulations. And as I'm doing the research to create this group with some colleagues of mine, and I'm reaching out to people, finding out what are their needs, what are their questions, what are their challenges. I'm just shocked at how many people are saying, no, well, whenever I need to go, I'll do it on my own. Oh, I don't need a support system. I have professionals that I go to. I would only go to somebody who's a professional. Oh, I have my friends. They're my band of brothers. And there's so many problems with this. Because if you only lean into one way of thinking, that's the only result you're ever going to get. And it's a very limited result. Because if here's the thing, let's say, for example, you go to your friends, you go to your friends for your for advice, right? You've got your group of friends, the people you go to synagogue with every every week, the people you hang out with, the people you go to the bar with, whatever it may be, whatever the situation is, these are the people that were your classmates, whatever it is. You only hang out with them, you only go to them, you only spend time with them. Here's a question for you. Are they successful in life? Are they successful in their faith? Are they successful in their finances? What does their health look like? Are they all overweight? Do they all have man bellies or whatever their dad bods? Is that what we're calling them nowadays? Do they have the results that you want to have in life? If they don't, they can be your friends, but you are a direct reflection of the five people you spend the most time with. So if they don't have a life that you want and you're spending your time with them, you're never going to have the life that you want. You need to change up your friend zone. You know, I've been listening a lot. I mentioned this last time. I've been listening a lot to Dr. Gabor Mate. So I've been listening to some podcasts that he's put out. Um, you know, he's been on one, I believe it's Peter Jordan. I listened to one with him and, and Ellie Nash. Um, I'm reading his book. So I, I've been really taking in a lot of what he said. And one of the things that really stood out to me about this idea of friends and the people you surround yourself with actually came from this podcast um, by Ellie Nash. It's Ellie Nash's podcast. Um, it's called In Search of, In Search for More, or In Search of More. And in this episode, Ellie was talking about his own personal experience with the addictions that he had gone through. And he was telling me how, he was not telling me, he was discussing on the podcast how 
with his specific addiction while he was going through the process of trying to break this addiction, overcome it, he was hanging out with the people who were going to the places that would just feed and filter that addiction. He realized that in order for him to really truly break free of that addiction, he had to break free of that friend group that he had. He had to stop hanging out with those people that were going to be the negative influencers. And Dr. Gabramate said something very similar. They were actually talking about ayahuasca and plant medicine and how oftentimes people can go. And, and, and even if you don't use plant medicine, let's say that you are going through a healing journey. But if you keep going back to the place where all the trauma happened, if you keep going back to the place where the negativity happened, if you don't have a way of breaking free, it's going to be very challenging. You know, if you don't have the finances to continue to do plant medicine or therapy, regular therapy or counseling, whatever it may be, and, and you're going and you're never able to leave your zip code. And in that zip code, there's a lot of crime, there's a lot of drugs, you know, the, the effect of the work that you're doing is only going to be so good. So you have to surround yourself with the right people. So if you are working on repairing your relationship, if you're working on your marriage and the people you're hanging out with are people who are constantly trash talking their wives, constantly making crude jokes about their spouses, that's not good information to put into your mind for making having a healthy, happy, healthy relationship with your spouse. I remember years ago, I was part of a... Um, I wouldn't call it a community. I was attending a synagogue and the individuals there, I was shocked at how most of these individuals were young, newly married individuals. And some of the things that they were saying about their spouses were, spouses were some of the most crass, rude, gross, disgusting things I've ever heard. And I was shocked that this is what young couples, young married men, some who had been married a week, some who had been married a couple months, some who had been married a couple of years. These are the jokes that they're making. This is what they're hearing. This is what they're feeding themselves with. And when you have a new guy, a newly married guy who's a month into his marriage and his friends and the people he hangs out with are all talking about the stuff that they've done with their wife and they're making fun of, making fun of their wives, that you're setting up another marriage for, for failure. You're setting up a marriage for divorce. But here's the thing. It is your responsibility as the husband, as the individual in this situation to make sure you are surrounding yourself with the right people. So it's great to have good friends. It's great to have people that are fun to hang out with. But you have to be hanging out with the right people. You have to be hanging out with the people who are going to lift you up, who are going to uplift others, not people who are going to push them down, not people who are going to cause you to do things that you shouldn't be doing or thinking things that you should have been doing. It's extremely important that you surround yourself with the right people. Another argument I get a lot is, oh, I don't need a, you know, a mastermind group. I don't need a, a band of brothers, a tribe of men, because I, I've got professionals. Here's the thing. Whether you believe in any of these conspiracy theories or not, um, I don't tend to believe in these conspiracy theories, but I do look at history and I do look at the way things have gone over the years. Fact of the matter is, our education system, as I said before, is based off of the Industrial Revolution. The wealthiest people in America needed factory workers, so they created and sponsored the educational system to be what it is, to feed workers. They, they, there's been quotes about it. How I don't know if it's John D. Rockefeller or Andrew Carnegie, whomever it was that said, they specifically said, I don't want a nation of thinkers. I want a nation of employees. I want a nation of workers. And this is the school system that they created. You look at the pharmaceutical industry. They don't want to heal people. They want to keep people in a cycle of needing medicine. So when you look at, let's talk about mental health, for example, mental health and suicide. 
you look at your professionals, you look at your therapists, your counselors, your mental health professionals, whom, by the way, just so you know, I have a number of friends who are mental health professionals, and I greatly respect them and what they do. And I've gone to a number of mental health professionals. I've gone to therapists, I've gone to counselors, I've gone to psychologists. You know, I've been there, I've done that, and I respect all these individuals greatly, and I know that there is a role. However, that being said, they are taught certain things. They are trained to say certain things. They are trained to think a very specific and certain way. And therefore, the only response you'll ever get them is one that fits within those lines, that fits within that box. And in many cases, they're only allowed to say certain things because if they said anything else other than what they've been trained to say, they could get sued. And it's malpractice. So when you have this this cloud hanging over you, of if I don't do the right thing or say the right thing according to the medical standards of America or whatever country you're in, then I can get sued for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Of course, you're, you're going to stick to your box. But in his research, in his work, Dr. Gabramate has, has accumulated all this knowledge and this experience. And what he noticed was, by the way, he is first and foremost a physician that has later started to do trauma work. And I was listening to his kind of his backstory recently, and it's absolutely fascinating. So if you haven't heard him yet, I highly suggest you um, start looking his videos up, start taking some of his courses, listening to podcasts, um, get his new book, The Myth of Normal, a brilliant, brilliant book. I'm, I, it's incredible. But one of the things he says is that physicians are not taught to acknowledge the connection between the mind and the body. They're taught to look at the body as its own individual thing, where in reality, your mind and your experiences and the trauma that you've gone through, and he said 100% of people have gone through trauma of some sort. And we're not talking about big traumas necessarily. It could be little traumas as well. But 100% of us, that means, yes, you, you listening to this podcast have gone through a trauma of some sort. And therefore, your health has taken a, a, a hit because of that. Because our experiences and the trauma we've been through changes our body. It causes health problems. And there are scientific studies to show this and to prove this. But yet, physicians are not being taught this. They're not being taught to ask these questions when they get a patient, to ask questions about the family history, to ask questions about the background, to ask questions about trauma that they possibly would have experienced. But it's 100% connected. Now, if you are an Orthodox religious Jew listening to this, or you're not even an Orthodox religious Jew listening to this, you're just a Jewish person listening to this, and you're looking for a way out. And you want to say, well, Torah doesn't talk about that. God doesn't talk about that. Yes, it does. Check your sources. The Rambam, who was considered to be the one of the form the foremost, if not one one of the foremost, if not the foremost source of medicine in his day and age, so much so that if I remember correctly, uh, he was the primary medical professional and advisor to the Egyptian king at the time when he was alive. Um, somebody whose work is considered to be, you know, still amongst the best. Like they're now science is just now catching up with some of the things that the Rambam Maimonides had said hundreds and thousands of years ago, whenever it was that he lives, hundreds of years ago at least. But he talks about it. He talks about the connection between your your mind and your body, your spiritual being and your physical health. Hasidus, Hasidic philosophy, talks about it. This is what my father spent the last 45 years of his life working on, this connection. Granted, it's in different terms than what Dr. Gabor Mate says, but this was my father's life work, the connection between your spiritual health and wellness, and your physical health and wellness. And there are stories about how he helped people heal because he was able to help them figure out where they were spiritually lacking. Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, talks about it. God talks about it. 
How many times throughout the Bible have the Jews, the Jewish people gone and done something wrong spiritually? And God punished them in a physical way. Physical ailments came about because of it. The ten plagues for crying out loud. I'm pretty sure there's a source somewhere that says that each of those was related to some sort of spiritual depravity of the Egyptian people. So there very much is an interconnectivity between your spiritual health, your mind, and your body, your physical health. But professionals will not necessarily say that because professionals don't know. So these are things you have to think about when thinking about the fact of, are you on the right path? Are you moving forward with your growth? If you are, how? How are you ensuring that you're moving forward with your growth? How are you ensuring that you really are the best father that your children need? How are you ensuring that you are the best husband that your wife needs? How are you ensuring that you are being the best spouse, the best parent, the best son, the best daughter, the best child, the best grandchild, whatever role you may play, whatever relationships you may have? How are you ensuring that you are actually, in fact, doing the best that you possibly can? If you're saying you have a mashpia, or you have your friends, or you go to professionals, that is not enough. I have gained so much more from people who are not necessarily professionals, and this is not to hate on professionals and to rag on professionals, but I have gained so much more from the circle that I have created, my circle of influence, my table, my round table of resources, my board of directors for my life, as my mentors will say. I've gained so much more from them than I have from professionals. Why? Because professionals cost a butt ton of money. And I'm not really inclined to go to them because I know 95% of the time they're not going to meet my beliefs and my values and my morals because they're trained to think and speak in a different in a specific way. So having a tribe of people that you can tap into, having support outside of just the professional realm is important. But also here's the thing. Let's say you have a good circle of influence. You have your five friends who are top-notch quality guys. So therefore you don't need a professional. No, that is wrong. Because there are certain things that the professional will know and questions that they've been trained to ask that will get you to think in a way that your friends wouldn't have been able to get you to think. So that's why it really is not just one or the other. It's not one specific thing. It really is about all of these factors together. So moving forward, here's what you should do. My suggestions to you. Get your head out of the sand. Stop thinking within the box. Stop thinking within the lines. You knew that this is what you were signing up for when you started listening. Moving forward, look at your life. The four primary primary areas that we talk about: your faith, your family, your finances, and your health. In those areas, which one are you working on right now? Sometimes you can work on more than one. Sometimes you can't. Which area are you working on? If you're working on your faith, okay. How? What specific item are you working on now? Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's meditation. Maybe it's journaling. Really, faith is spirituality. It's one and the same. It's interconnected. Your spiritual journey, your journey through life. That's faith. To me, that's faith. With your family, are you working on your relationship with your wife? Are you working on your relationship with your children? Are you working on your relationship with your spouse? Are you working on your relationship with yourself? Whatever it may be. Finances. Are you currently in the budgeting stage? Are you currently going through 90 days worth of expenditure? expenses that you've paid off and seeing, oh, here's where we're spending money. We're spending way too much money on Starbucks. Whatever it may be, what are you doing with your health? Are you dieting? Are you eating better? Are you exercising? 
are you paying for mental health help? Are you reading? Are you growing? Are you learning? Whatever it may be, what area are you specifically working on? And the last thing to think about is where will I find like-minded individuals? People who are on the same journey as me. People who can be my support system, my band of brothers. You are not weak for leaning into a support system. On the contrary, you are so much stronger for being able and willing to identify the areas where you are lacking and find other people to support you in those areas. Why would you want to do this alone? Why would you want to go on this journey alone? Nobody said you had to. Nobody said you should. You know, within my research, this is going to be a hot topic, trigger warning, whatever you want to call it. In my research, I was looking up some statistics for divorce rates. And it fascinated me to see that in a a 2010 study, the divorce rate for parents of individuals with autism or Asperger's or ADHD or basically individuals with parents of individuals on the spectrum, the divorce rate was 23.5% compared to the divorce rate for typically developing children or parents of typically developing children, which would be 13.8%. So it's a massive spike in numbers. Now, that's not to say, you know, within all the divorces out there, that whatever, these are the statistics that came up when I did the search. And the leading cause for these divorces was stress, communication and coping skills, financial issues, lack of a support system. In 2010, a study was done, by, I believe this was with the census, that 80% of single-parent homes are mothers, which means men are dropping like flies. They're not owning up to who they are. Why aren't they owning up to their role? Well, because, again, look at the stats, because it's untreated or undiagnosed mental health conditions, whether it's emotional struggles, whether it is things like depression, whatever mental health issues, and some even with thoughts of suicide. Okay, another issue, social expectations and stigma, the things that we place on ourselves as men and that society places on us, the things that we are considered to be having to do because we are men. We have no support system. Is this really what a man is supposed to do? Maybe a man is supposed to do something else. We have no support system. Another thing, relationships and financial stress. Most men are at this age range, again, from 25 to 45 years old, are going through relationship challenges, are going through marital issues, are going through divorce and financial pressures. The the facts are here. So the question is, what are you doing about it? Why would you want to, God forbid, make yourself part of those statistics when you have an option of creating a group, a band of brothers, a tribe of men? Create your own roundtable. You don't necessarily have to join one. There are plenty out there. And like I said, we're creating uh, a new one with very specific focuses. And anybody who wants more information about that is more than welcome to reach out to me. Be brave. Do it. But you on your own, you can do the same. I have, I, it started with me reaching out and creating that for myself. There's no reason why you cannot. There's no reason why you should not. On the contrary, if you truly are who you say you are as a husband and a father, then this is your obligation. This is your responsibility to make sure that the people who are influencing your life are the people who have your life's best interest. The people who can help you to get to that life that you want. And if you're not the father and husband you want to be, now is your time to step up to the plate and take the steps necessary to become that person. 
And the greatest thing you can ever admit to yourself, the greatest thing you can ever do is acknowledge the fact that you're not doing enough and that you don't have the tools. And the greatest thing you can do from there is to go out there and learn more and to acquire those tools. Welcome to the conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much to me if you would let me know by hitting that follow button and the notification bell so that the next time I release an episode, you'll be notified and you'll be able to listen to it. Additionally, it would help me immensely if you could leave me a rating and, of course, write a review. I would love to hear back from you, from your feedback, whatever it may be. So please be sure to reach out either through my email, through any of my social media platforms, or by leaving a voice note. I'd say that was a pretty successful broadcast.